Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Near the end of his treatise on virtues and vices, which is addressed to a nobleman, Count Guy, who Alcuin calls his dearest son, there's a discussion of what we call the cardinal virtues. And here we're naming the four virtues that come up from Plato onward in a lot of moral philosophy and virtue ethics. And Alcuin of York is framing these in terms of remedies for the eight capital vices, but also some, you could say, dispositions that we human beings need to have within ourselves if we indeed want to enjoy happiness, eternal blessedness, all these things that the Christian life is supposed to be aiming for. It's good to remember that Alcuin himself is a monk and he's drawing upon a long, long history of previous virtue ethics, both pagan and Christian. And so the thing that he starts out with is saying, well, we need to say what a virtue is. And he's not providing a you know massive discussion here. This is a kind of summary of what it is from his perspective that virtues are. And so the first thing he tells us is that a virtue is a habit, habitus in Latin, of the mind. And a habit is something that we develop over time. So these virtues of, you know, practical wisdom or prudence, justice, fortitude, or courage, temperance, or moderation. These are not just things that we do. They are dispositions or habits that have been developed within the mind. And he doesn't go into any discussion about how that takes place here. Although, you know, again, there's a a vast, long discussion leading up to Alcuin about how that happens. So this is pretty standard fare for what a virtue is in virtue ethics. The other things that he says about it are very interesting. And this gives us an idea about how he's centering the virtues within moral life, but specifically within a Christian framework. So he tells us that the second thing, an ornament, decus, of nature. It's it's a way in which human nature is made beautiful, is made fit, is developed in the way that it ought to be. Then he says that it's a reason of life, a ratio And a ratio here can mean more than just a reason like, you know, I give you a reason. Why are you going to the store? Well, I need to buy some milk. It's more like a structure, a rational structure, a way of articulating and arranging and prioritizing how things ought to go within one's life. So it's an arrangement of one's life, if you like. And then he says another thing really interesting, the piety of morals. Now, morals here is translating the word morum. That's the word we get morality from when we talk about the mores, the customs, the norms of a particular group or, you know, more generally. So this is closely connected to habits. Habits and mores are interconnected. And so the piety of them, piety means an orientation towards the divine, 
You know, so being rightly oriented in one's mores, in one's customs, in one's habits. And it's also, you know, you could think about it going both ways here. It's a way in which by having the right mores, we are pious. We express that other mores, you know, that's the, the singular for it, of piety, another kind of habit. The adoration of the Godhead. Okay, now this is very clearly within a religious framework, right? And these virtues are a way in which we worship. And this is, you know, taking us quite far from earlier conceptions of virtue where it might be pleasing to the gods. This is a way in which we actually properly arrange ourselves in relation to God. Then he says the honor of a human being, honor hominis, right? So this is not gender specific. Homo means human being, not just man, right? So it includes everybody. The honor, the proper, what would we call it? You know, this is closely related to honestas, the you know integrity of a human being. And then finally, the merit of eternal beatitude through the virtues, through having the virtues and acting on the virtues and opposing them to the vices, as we're going to talk about in a moment, we merit the greatest kind of happiness available within the Christian framework. That is eternal beatitude after death, of course, but you know, perhaps also in this life to some degree, some happiness, some blessedness, Blessedness, beatitudo, means happiness or blessedness. So this is a pretty substantive conception of what a virtue is. It's not just a habit. It's not just things that are socially approved. They do, in fact, lead us to happiness or merit happiness, but they also express the proper relation of a human being to their own nature and to their capacity for reasoning, for arranging their life, and to the divine. Now, that already tells us why a human being would need the virtues, but there's a little passage just before this in the discussion of the eight capital vices, which are going to eventually turn into the seven deadly sins as well. But Alcuin is retaining this discussion of the eight capital vices that is coming from Evagrius Ponticus and John Cassian, two important monastic authors. And he tells us that the vices are actually opposed. So the vices are leaders, duques, right? They are captains, as it's talked about in Gregory's Moralia on Job, which Alcuin knows quite well. And these leaders of the vices are opposed by virtues. So he tells us there, pride is opposed through humility, greed through abstinence, fornication through chastity, avarice through wisdom, anger through patience, weariness through constancy of good works, bad sadness through spiritual joy, vainglory through the charity of God. Now that sounds like there's eight virtues opposing them, doesn't it? He goes on immediately and says, therefore... Also, for very glorious leaders command these commanders through the Christian religion, whom we oppose to the warriors of diabolical impiety, and the names of these leaders of leaders are these, prudence, justice, courage, and temperance. So, 
in this treatise, there have been a number of different virtues, or we could call them fruits of the virtues discussed, you know, that begins with wisdom and faith, charity, goes on to all sorts of other virtues as well. All of these can be understood in a certain sense, according to Alcuin, as falling under these cardinal virtues. And this is a rather distinctive way to go because in some other Christian accounts, you've got the four cardinal virtues and then you have, you know, for example, the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. And those aren't found in these four cardinal virtues. So you wind up with seven virtues. Uh, monastic authors will often add humility itself as a very important virtue as opposed to, to you know, the vice of pride. So maybe there's eight or something like that. Alcuin is actually telling his correspondent, Count Guy, no, no, properly understood the cardinal virtues actually include these other Christian theological, however you want to frame them, virtues. So what do each of these encompass? He talks about prudence first, and he calls it the knowledge of divine and human things, just as is given to a person, by which is to be understood what is to be avoided or what is to be done by a person. And this is what we read in the psalm, turn from evil and do good. So it sounds like prudence, prudentia, is practical wisdom as opposed to any sort of other kind of wisdom like sapientia in Latin. But we go on and we find that he actually tells us there is no better wisdom than that by which God is known according to the measure of the human mind and feared and is feared future judgment believed. What is more just than to please? Okay, so we go on from there. But notice that wisdom, prudentia, is going to encompass these other things that we see discussed at the very beginning of the treatise on virtues and vices. What about justice? Justitia. So he calls it, interestingly, nobilitas, nobility of mind. And this is something that we would actually normally associate with courage, you know, magnanimity, greatness of mind, but he actually places this under justice. And so he says, it gives its own dignity to each and every matter. Now, what does that mean to give its own dignity, dignitas in Latin? Well, this is a medieval term that is used in a lot of treatises, and it means basically what the thing deserves, what it merits, how it fits into the grand scale of things. So giving the dignity to each matter includes prioritizing things properly, giving each person what it is that they deserved. And so he goes on and says, in this adoration of the Godhead, so part of justice would be orientation to God, right? And the laws of humanity, okay, so that's part of justice, and just judgments, right? Not unjust judgments, but following just judgments, and equity of all life is preserved. So this is what justice includes. And he goes on a little bit later and tells us what is more just than to please God and keep his commandments through whom, while we were not, we were created, while we were lost, we were recreated and freed from diabolical servitude and who gave to us all good things that we have. So placing things in a proper framework is not merely a secular matter of justice. Justice applies both to the world of the everyday, but also to the divine as well. Then we have courage. Now, remember, he is writing to a guy who belongs to a warrior class, Count Guy. 
And here, he's not stressing battlefield courage at all. He's stressing other aspects of courage that Christian and even non-Christian authors, like, for example, the Stoics, highlighted. So fortitudo, courage, he tells us, Fortitude is great patience of the mind and long-sufferingness and perseverance in good work and victory against all forms of vices. Courage is what we need when things get tough. Courage is what we need when we start to get bored or oppressed or we find ourselves out of our element. So courage requires patience, perseverance, long-sufferingness, and it's turned against the vices. And he says, What is better than by this fortitude to conquer the devil and overcome all his suggestions and bravely bear all adversities of the world for the sake of God's name? So courage itself is turned in a theological direction. Then we have temperance, temperancia, which he says is a very great virtue. And why does he say that? Because perhaps some people think it's, ah, you know, that's the the fourth. It's not really that important. But he thinks it's incredibly important. Temperation is moderation of all life. Right? So that a person does not love or hate something excessively, but regulates all varieties of this life with considered carefulness. And he uses diligencia there, right? And consideratio. Those are both important here. Temperance is not just like yeah, sticking to the middle path. It's actually thinking things through and making the right decisions about these sorts of things. And then a little bit later, he says, so it's a very noble virtue through which all honor of this life remains among people so that a person may think, speak, and be led temperately in every case, whatever, right? So this is a part of that rule, reason, of life. So these four virtues encompass all of the virtues that are being discussed in the treatise on virtues and vices, and they oppose all of the capital vices that are getting in the way of living a properly rational human life. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.